Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How are you feeling? I am beyond fucking jazzed. Well, you're wearing your little Philadelphia Flyers cap, so that says to me something good's happening. Tell me something good. <laughs> oh, the amount of times they play that. Um, at a game, really specifically, usually it's. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, I'm sure lots of them do it, but the the whoever does the music at Wells Fargo, which is the arena where the Flyers play, I love them so much because they have a gift for playing very specific songs. It's usually when the refs are like talking about something, whether they're going to allow a goal or whether it's is somebody going to get a penalty or something? And they want to, then all of a sudden you hear that, tell me something good. It makes me cackle every time. Uh, yeah, we're getting a late start this evening. Yeah. Which is great for me. Yeah. Um, because I got to watch, um, I'm going to say it, the greatest Flyers game of the 2023 season so far. Wowzer. It was electric. Uh, they won five to one. I'll say that. Wow. It was insane. One of the guys ended up getting like a penalty shot, which is rare. And he rocked it out. And it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And then one of the players, specifically Mr. Owen Tippett. He's also a ginger. So I feel like a, a kinship. Sure. A gingership. Thank you. Thank you so much. He is known for his speed. And he gets the puck at the other end. Sure. And he's just booking it to the net. And then it happened. Like, you have to watch it in slow-mo 
to really understand how he what he did. But he literally skated a circle and shot the puck backwards, like behind himself, right in the fucking net. It was the most beautiful goal. I screamed. I've seen it 20 times easily. My oldest immediately texted me and was like, that goal was sick. And he does not watch uh, my specific games. Right. Uh, it was just in the feeds and in all the things because everyone was like, this is the fucking goal of the year. And then the announcers were like, I think that might be a contender for goal of the year. And, I, and then I was like, is there literally a an award for goal of the year? Because I know there is an NHL award. Right. Like there's an awards show. So I'm like, is that a thing? I wouldn't be surprised. The point is they were on fire. Wow. Like at the end of the second period, they had, oh God, they'd taken maybe 30 some shots, tw probably 20 to 30 some shots. The other team, less than 10. I think that the other team at that point was at three. Three shots on net in two periods. I'm like, oh, my boys are on fire. Taking shots and taking names. Thank you so much. How about it? Yeah. Look, I. it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It was the reason why I love them. I continually, continually kept saying to my husband, they're just, they're just like bros, you know? Like, they're the best bros. Like, you can tell they're friends. And they're just so good. At, like, they mesh so well together. And he's like, uh-huh. And I'm like, but no, like for real, like you can tell that they're like buds and they play out there like they're buds. And he's like, okay, okay, great. But it was, uh, it was great. And I was so jazzed. I, I was doing notes for part of it. So I had to like do my best to like try and focus, but I kept like typing and then just kind of peeking <laughs> over, watching more. So um, we'll see, because this is some of the latest notes wise I've been. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt bad about the late record, but now what I'm hearing is all worked out. Oh, yeah. It. I mean, I needed it for the notes. Um, <laughs> well, there's that, too. But, I just meant so you could watch but, the game. Uh, but, but it also did work out uh, for the game. Uh, yeah, my notes were done, and, like, the game finished, like, 20 minutes later. <laughs> so, so it was really close. I mean, in my defense, I usually – I mean, I don't need to defend myself. Um, but I usually – have like a set chunk of time that I'm like, this is how long I'm going to have. Usually it's like, here's your week to get your notes and research and all that done. But after the last record, I had uh, a root canal. Yeah. About five hours when we logged off. Five hours after we logged off, I had that. Um, it put me in a bad place. I was unwell for five days. Yeah. After. The first day was was bad. Like, it involved me, like, I don't even fully remember it, but it I know for sure it involved me crying to my husband, apologizing that I was this way. <laughs> because I was, I was in a very, very bad place. It's a whole thing. I also learned, did you know that redheads require more anesthesia and stuff than everybody else i found this out from my mother who, you, who you have a ginship with of course thank you so much for that coming back already but here's what i'm gonna tell you uh she also has a hard time coming out of anesthesia oh sure 
um, which is a, a common trait also. Here's what I'll say. I believe I share this trait with you, which would make sense because sure. everyone in our family, less me and one of our aunts on that side is yeah. redheaded, right? So it's in my yeah. blood is the point. It um, is. So I, because I think I've told you the story about the first time I ever got a filling. Oh, and sure. listen, we don't have to get into dental trauma here, folks. That's not what we're doing on the on the on the pod. But let's just say um, it took like three rounds of Novocaine. Like it just wasn't it just doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I've I've only ever had. So growing up, I never had any cavities. So I, had the, I think I had my first cavities when I was like 35. And uh, sure. And then I've seen a new dentist since then because that experience was, I'll say it, highly traumatizing. Um, oh. So now I go to a new dentist. Yeah. And yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And and he was basically, and I said to him, I was like, I don't understand. Like, I've, I've never had cavities. And he was just like, it's just age. It just will start to happen, which I feel like is part of what you're running into is that it's like, it's just, it's just, oh. it's, uh, they're, they're all going to turn on us eventually. And, and by, oh, by yeah. they, I mean our yeah. bodies. <laughs> Our bodies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, uh, this is a new place that I started going to. And when I made the appointment, I'm a very highly, highly anxious person. And so I made the appointment and I probably talked for five minutes straight mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. probably said the word anxious and anxiety 40 times. Sure. In that, like, I just really, really wanted to drive the point home of like, this is the situation you're getting into with me. Right. I'm going to come there. I won't want to. And I don't know what I'm going to be like when I get there. But I'm trying. And now, like, I've been there a couple of times since that. But the receptionist already knows my name. As soon as I walk in, she's like, hey, Christy, how's it going? You're here. You made it. And it's very clear that somewhere in my chart is highlighted anxious because every single person I come into contact with there says my name and is like, good for you. I'm really proud of you for coming. You're doing great. Like they, they really baby me. I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, it's when the staff are young enough that I could have birthed them that they're like, good for you. And I'm like, you could be my child. <laughs> But it's fine. Um, it's just such a wild experience. And I, I would love to read the chart because I guarantee there's something in there because all of them. It's not just like, hey, you know, have a good one. It's always like, good for you. You made it. And it's always with that light tone where they're like, don't upset her. <laughs> don't upset her. Yeah. The turtle, go back in her shell. We can't <laughs> have that. Don't upset her. Every like. All of them. And it like it's a beautiful thing and they're all incredibly kind, but uh, it's just a wild experience. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen uh, the next time I go back. And they're like, so how'd it go? And it's like, oh, not well. Yeah. Not well. I I was I was like, um, oh, God, I want to say like 1800s. I had I had a flu and mm. we knew we thought this was it. This was it. And I'm laying in a bed and I'm ready to welcome all my children to my bedside <laughs> to say goodbye. 
Like it was, <laughs> I, I, the consumption it was, it was is, is, has taken over. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Oh yeah. It has, it has happened. Uh, mom's gotta go. Like I was, oh, I <laughs> was bad. Gotta like, go. I, was, I was, I was not in a great, not in a great place and just in and out of consciousness. And what, what kills me? If I'm, and I'm saying this to my body, if you're going to make me unwell, sick physically in some way, fine. I get it. I'm sure I've done something to you that I deserved this in some way. But for the love of fuck, if you're going to make it so I have to be in bed for multiple days, let me read. Because what bothers me is I was so, like, my eyes were so heavy and so sore that I couldn't handle the thought of looking at a book, and I couldn't physically hold one. And so it's like, if my punishment, and I'm sick, and meant I had to lay in bed and read for a few days, except, I, yes, I'm pushing that button. But no, it was like, no, I'm just going to lay and be in and out of consciousness. And the joke is... There was a Flyers game that night, and I put it on TV in the bedroom, but I was just in and out. And at one point, I had fallen asleep, and uh, one of my cats, Cheddar, came up and did like a little chirp in my face. Like I got just like a little like, and I was like, oh, and I opened my eyes. My team had literally just scored. And I was like, it was like, and there had already been another goal, but by the other team. So it's like she saw that goal and went, let her rest. And then waited, saw that goal, and went, she should know. <laughs> and then she was like, hey, heads up. Because I opened my eyes, and I look, and they were celebrating on the screen. And I was like, what are the odds? She chose that moment. I truly believe somewhere inside her soul. Oh, she yeah. She was like, you know what? Let her know. Let, Let her, her know. know. Well, the other and thing- then after that, she was like, she's not well. Let her rest. The other thing that that I had to let let you know- was yeah. uh, during this past weekend, which of course is my favorite time of year in, in Hollywood, of course, award season. I yes. uh, was at some awards-related events and saw young Joe Keery from Stranger Things. And I literally was like, excuse me, and had to like go <laughs> out over to the table, open my yep. purse, get out my phone, and text Christy yep. that it was like, I just saw Joe Keery, and he's taller than I thought he would be. And he is. Yeah. Um, my favorite... Uh moment was that like i just need you to know a i've seen him b he's like my height and heels and yeah i was like no shit now granted he does have the very yeah. high hair so that probably he helps he does it probably helps sure. but yeah i was i was expecting him to be be littler but there's another one that i've i'll say it i've kept from you because i wanted to tell you live live on the air live on the air live on the air yeah. it's only live to us but i couldn't live exactly so yeah. I was at uh, the Disney, because Disney owns ABC, my, Not Dead Yet, my show is on ABC. Of course. So I was at the Disney Emmy party on Monday. So the the awards. Sure. And then people were coming over there. So sky's the limit, right? It's like, who who could possibly oh, be here? My brain is like the wheel or like the Price is Right yep. wheel <laughs> running around, except instead of prizes, it's, it's faces. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that. Boop. <laughs> Boop. As it stops. Yeah. 100%. Could be. So this was a Marvel gentleman. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This was a Marvel gentleman. And much like I have to report to you that Joe Keery was taller than I thought, 
this yeah. guy was taller than I thought. Okay. Is this more a you or a me? I believe it's more a you. Okay, so not Sebastian Stan. Not Sebastian Stan. And I'll get it out of the way. It wasn't Pedro Pascal. Trust me, my eyes oh, were that... scanning, okay? I mean, the day he texted you, you literally called me. It was a, <laughs> yeah, like it was a Twitter, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, so sorry. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Um, I feel like if you you two were to have an interaction in real life, I would have you would have known. It. You would. I, I would be able to time. hold yeah. on to that for the podcast. I would. I would have. Correct. I would have tipped Correct. my hand. No. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We're not. Listen. We're not talking to Chris. Oh, I assumed. Okay. That would have also gotten you. But I feel like this is exciting yeah. for you. Okay. Okay. A Marvel. He's a Marvel. More. More me than you. Hmm. Um. Specifically on the list. I think he has to be. I think we've talked about this. I, and I, listen, I apologize also because in the in the moment I I was like, surely he is, but the list is so so far deep that I I could be <laughs> the misspeaking. The list is dense. The I could be misspeaking. Um, okay, Marvel <sighs> actor or director actor. I assumed, mm-hmm. um, but I wanted to make sure. Have we mentioned them on the show? I think so. I have to believe yes. Okay. (sighs) Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. Okay. So not a Chris. Um, I'm not, I'm assuming not a bit, not like one of the main Avengers. No. Don't assume. Or yes. Not one of the main Avengers. Okay. Okay, but it, there was something in the tone. Well, still a large presence. Oh, sure, mm-hmm. sure. I'm going to feel like a dope um, once we've discovered the truth. And I was like, how did I not say that? Um, okay, so not an Avenger, but we're still talking Marvel. Are we talking a Spider-Man? Not a Spider-Man, nor a Spider-Man. Okay. <sighs> Fuck, what else does Marvel do? Um, I mean, Iron Man, obviously, but that's part of Avenger. Um, I mean, I guess he's kind of an Avenger. I'm a, not Benedict. No, but okay. I'll say this. <laughs> How am I first name based? Not Benedict. <laughs> not Eggs Benedict. <laughs> um, get the Hollandaise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. no, not him. But not in terms of character, but in terms of type, you're you're getting real close. For Benedict, you're yeah. His it's it's a similar type. Not I I mean as a human, not as the character. I'm missing something. This is yeah. this would be so much easier if yeah. I had a if, if if I had a phone. I say had a phone. It's literally right there. But I'm trying to play the game. Of course, by by our by the rules that we've created in the game that doesn't exist. That's yet. right. Um, oh, shit. So, like Benedict, does that mean British? I should double check. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, like, I thought that, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. (laughs) I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Um, shit. Okay. God, it might be easier for me to just go through British actors I love as opposed to go through Marvel because I've already forgotten who was even linked to Marvel. You're better than this. 
Um, oh, Brits. Oh, God. My brain is just like my eyes are darting everywhere looking for a clue. There is not a clue. I can give there's you not a clue, but it'll definitely give it away. Well, you say definitely, but I'm. No, I would. I'm on a struggle bus. Well, currently. Okay, British. Um, the, the thing that's killing me is Marvel. I'm like, what else? Marvel. There's not only good guys. You're right. You're right. Good call. Good call. I mean, when I think Marvel bad guy, the first bad guy I think of is Michael B. Jordan. Sure. But he's not British. Not him. (laughs) Not British, no. Um, Marvel. And then I think there's probably, I'm sure some people would be like, he's not a bad guy. But, I mean. Oh. He started that way. Oh, no. No, he's not British, Christy. I was like, oh, my God, I've got it. No, you don't. (laughs) Shut up. Jesus. Because my brain went, started that way. God, that's, is it that like the character Batista plays? And then I was like, oh, Batista. Batista is not British. <laughs> he loves dogs and couldn't love that more. Yeah. Um. Started as a bad guy. Have I seen all the Marvels? Oh, God. Um. Started as a bad guy. I mean, people are screaming. They're screaming at this point. At this point, they're screaming at you. But I feel like deep down they love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is is the kind of game we play where it's like, see if you can stump Christy. It's real easy. (laughs) I'm trying to think of like Uh, a clue that won't give it away immediately. Oh, sure. Somebody who started off bad. Um, oh. Idris? No. Idris wasn't bad. Idris would never be bad. I don't. He's. No, I've just started picturing Idris Elba. Oh, that, that'll probably, this will probably give it to you too. I mean, you say probably, but I've lost all faith in myself. He's a brother. He's a brother. Now, there are two ways I could take that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a brother. He's literally a brother. That's how we're introduced to this character. Oh, the character is the brother, yeah. not the actor is like nope. a famous brother nope. of another. Because that, okay. We're introduced to the character because he's a brother? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, I mean, I think it's, I think we're, oh no, <laughs> no, <laughs> oh my God, no. Yeah. Oh my God, ginship. Because isn't, isn't, oh he, yes, oh, yes, yes. Oh my fucking God, are you talking about Tom Hiddleston? Yeah. He's absolutely on the fucking list. I thought oh so. Oh my God, have you seen him dance? Because I'm going to tell you, Google it. Well. Let me in. Let me let me bring you into my world for a minute. That it took us seventeen yeah. minutes to get to because I can't not make her guess. Uh, 
<coughs> so we passed by him. Yeah. And was like, he's taller than I thought he would be. I don't know how oh. tall or short I thought he would be. I, I, I don't know, but it just struck me. I was like, he's taller than I sure. thought he would be. And my date and I went on to the dance floor. And uh-huh. let me tell you a little something. Nobody was dancing. But who's out there front and center? Tom Hiddleston's wife. <gasps> Good for... That makes sense they're together. Yep. And so similar. anyway, long story short, so she was she was dancing near where we were dancing. And uh, and then he eventually did come. But then that was at the moment where I really had to pee or whatever. So I didn't lay eyes on him dancing in person. Sure. But there was it, it felt like he was about to about to cut a rug. And I, I'm thinking like like a like a real true six two. Oh, that's nice. It was shocking. I was surprised. I don't know why I was so surprised. He, it's not. I don't know that he reads small on camera. I don't know. Maybe it's because Chris Hemsworth is taller. So then you're like, well, how? Sure. You know, Chris Hemsworth also. He not only does he have the height, he also has the the, yes. the bulk. So I think which it's makes like him a, just appear. It's an illusion. Heavenly over. Yeah. Uh, heavenly. Um, over the others, but yeah, God. No, I'm familiar. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say he dated Taylor Wait, I'm Swift. Familiar with Logan. I was gonna say he dated Taylor Swift, but then I was like, she'll get it immediately. Then, oh, not necessarily. Huh. I guess there is a few, but no, she hasn't dated any other Marvel people. Oh, see that Marvel's where it threw me because I've seen. Oh, I think I've seen each of them maybe twice because I watch them at when they come out usually, and then at one point I can't remember what movie was coming up. But I made my husband and I go through them in chronological order. Like, not the order they actually came out in, but the order you're supposed to watch them in, which is wacky at best. If you love it, good for you. I can barely keep up. Mm. I barely know what's what. Um, I do uh, need to get into the Loki show now that you remind me of that. Yeah, same. Hiddleston. Yeah. 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 Uh, I I mean, I. if you think, I mean, obviously I would watch that for him. I'm learning I'm not as up on uh, Marvel as I should be. But, uh, well, I'm up on it enough. But I'll have to wait to to get to Loki. I have, I have to, I just started Reacher. Oh, right. I don't know the gentleman's name. But speaking of heavenly presence, sure. he's a very tall, very, very bulky man. And I did not know what to do with myself that whole thing. I was like, he's uh, how like anybody that's on screen with him, it's like, they're tiny. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm only an episode in, but I'm like, well, I have to see this through. Um speaking of presence. But uh that was a fun game. I I I feel like I should have got it earlier. Uh, those were excellent clues. Listen, I did the best I could. I did the best I you could. Did, well, you did great. While second guessing love, my clues as I went, you know? The joke is, didn't even consider it would be a bad guy. Mm. And uh, yeah, his his name just didn't hit my brain because I was like, okay, obviously there's the Avengers. And then I was like, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk. Like I was thinking like that. Yeah. I wasn't thinking anybody a little... Uh, 
further down the line. But mm-hmm. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. For real, uh, anyone interested, just Google him dancing. I'm going to look it up now. I feel like I missed out. There's a I, there's a show where he they started playing music and he got up and started dancing in a way that was like 98% hips. Wow. And like 1,000% mesmerizing. Good news on the break. I know what I'll be Googling <laughs> while I take a piss. <laughs> What's wrong Thank with me? Thank you for piss you know i was like i was gonna say pee but i felt like i needed to put a little more stank on it um speaking of stank like that what you drinking over there (laughs) oh i've i've gone with a slurpee for the evening because it's late and you know yeah i have to work at at an ungodly hour tomorrow so i'm having water sure um it's this mountain valley spring water it comes in a bottle we don't get sponsored by them i don't even know why i'm pointing this out i get these they give us these to us at work and I know that water isn't supposed to taste differently, but God, this one is delicious, does. right? It does. Yeah. Dasani is not right. There, I agree. There's also something about drinking out of glass. It has a different oh, flavor than out of sure. plastic. Sure. It's nice. And I think they do say that glass is actually better because it's easier to recycle. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Anyway. On that note, what are we talking today? The answer is House of Gucci. Could not be more excited about this. This, of course, was our December patrons poll pick. Um, over on patreon.com slash cocktails, you can become a member. You can subscribe, and then you can vote in a poll to des- uh, determine one of the four episodes that we cover here on the main feed of the show per month. Um, this, of course, uh, is for December, so we're, we're catching up on that. Fantastique. If you don't know what we're talking about, sit back and relax, because I'm going to get you up to speed right now. In the fashion world, the name Gucci is synonymous with luxury, but the name is also synonymous with the high level of drama found within the family. It's like a real-life soap opera. There's infidelity, a secret marriage, a love child, guilty convictions, bankruptcy, a son betraying his father, and even a murder-for-hire plot. It's absolute drama with a capital D, and just for fun, there's also a ferret named Bambi. (laughs) So, who are the members of the Gucci family? (laughs) What's their history? And what are the deets with all this drama? <laughs> Chaos coordinator Christy Oxborough investigates. The best one you've ever written. <laughs> um, without question. Uh, I will admit, didn't write it last. Huh. Usually the, the more chaotic they are, the more rushed I am. And I'm like, I've got to crank this out so I can send it to her so we can record. Um, this one, it hit me in the middle and I just started like... I paused my notes to go and do that. Is it for real that of all of the things I'm about to say to you, the thing that hit me the hardest was a ferret named Bambi? Yes. Absolutely. Um, I I just wasn't expecting it. And uh, it is what it is. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of may have broken mentally. I love it. I don't Chaos love that you've broken mentally. Coordinator. But- Chaos coordinator is uh, amazing. Something else. It's amazing, um, is what it is. Uh, something also I want to mention very quickly. Uh, I promise I'll be very quick. Um, <clears throat> before we go, <clears throat> get into it is what I meant. Um, I know it's only currently affecting my province of uh, Saskatchewan, Canada, for those who don't know. But I just want to say, as a mother and as a fucking human being, I 1,000% support Saskatchewan teachers. 
Ah. There are there are some uh strike things currently uh ongoing. Because our provincial government are being a lot of dicks. Mm. And I'm gonna say that. I know that people support them by all means. Um but when teachers say, hey, you know what? We're really struggling. Um, and their main issue is their classroom sizes are too big, like 30 to 40 children a class. That's too much for someone to take on. That's way too much. <coughs> and when the government responds with a with a billboard smear campaign that says Saskatchewan teachers are the highest paid in the country, thanks for trying to uh, distract the regular folks uh, from from the real issues. And also, I'll say it, I don't care how high, I guarantee it's not high at all, but I don't care how high teachers are getting paid. They are not getting paid enough. No. I will say that. As someone who has attempted to homeschool their children during the pandemic, which I have PTSD from and I cannot think about it again, I can't imagine what those teachers do every day. Not a single teacher gets into it for the money. No. And they absolutely do not get paid enough. So teachers everywhere, but especially Saskatchewan teachers, I support you. My family supports you. You do what you need to do because, my God, you uh, you deserve so much more than what you get. Yeah. So that being said, because teachers are some of the greatest people in the world, and my God, they don't deserve <laughs> the bullshit that they have to put up with. And... Ah, they have done a strike one day and they're striking again next week, which will be uh, before this official record. Um, so, well, again, I will, I will teach them from home however long I need to do it to get you guys what you deserve. Absolutely. So, well, there I say it. So, wake the fuck up, Scott Moe. <laughs> there we go. Also, to be clear, yeah. Scott Moe is never going to listen to this, but I could do an episode on you, sir. Wow. I won't, but I could. Yep. And just know, no, I was going to say something, but I was like, no, <clears throat> just know it's, uh, it's not exactly white collar crime that I would be talking about. <laughs> Yowza. So, uh, Mr. Moe, get your head out of your ass. Yeah. Is what I'm going to say. I love Anyhow. it. <laughs> Mo money, mo problems. You know what I mean? Hey. And this province is nothing but mo problems. <laughs> M-O-E, if you get what I'm saying. I do. Yeah, there we go. Again, I know that our listener base in Saskatchewan probably isn't large, but anybody, uh, you know. Anybody who lives here and gets it, especially anyone uh, who is in the teaching profession, God, just know uh, uh, how highly uh, respected you are. Absolutely. So, Couldn't agree more. So, disclaimer for the episode. This episode will contain brief mentions of suicide, so trigger warning for those who need it. Also, I need to say this out the gate, since this episode is mostly set in Europe, which I'll, be, I'll admit, 
I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I just assumed fashion meant New York. So, ah. you know, she is who she is. Sure. Um, so my advance apologies for the mispronunciations. I won't say for any. I'm just going to say for the, because I know there will be some. Of course. Again, uh, I don't speak Italian, so it's going to be what it's going to be. So this episode is something I call true crime movie time. Yes. Where I take a movie that is based on a real crime, and I tell you about the movie and the story behind the real crime. I think, I mean, it's something I usually do on Patreon. I think some of those episodes have ended up uh, in the regular feed. But the patrons poll was, uh, they chose a true crime movie time. So that's uh, what they get. Yes. So we're going to start with the premise of the movie. House of Gucci was directed by Ridley Scott and released in November 2021. The movie features, if I may, a plethora of stars, including but not limited to Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jared Leto, Salma Hayek, and Jeremy Irons. So the movie really kind of focuses on the relationship between Maurizio Gucci, played by Adam Driver, and Patrizia uh, Reggiani, uh, who is played by Lady Gaga. It starts in 1978 when Patrizia is working as an office manager for her father's trucking company. Maurizio is a law student and heir to the House of Gucci. Patrizia pursues Maurizio, whose father, Rodolfo, warns him, Patrizia is only after your money. Rodolfo goes so far as to threaten to disinherit Maurizio if he marries her. Uh, Maurizio chooses love over money. He leaves the Gucci family and marries Patrizia. Uh, Maurizio gets a job working for his new father-in-law. And when Patrizia becomes pregnant, she gives the good news to the Guccis, who welcome Maurizio back into the family with open arms. When Rodolfo dies and Maurizio is left the majority with the majority shares of the company, Patrizia consults a psychic so that she can learn how to manipulate her husband into taking a more active role in the company, because it seemed she was far more interested in running it than he was. Mm. Maurizio eventually leaves her and attempts to marry someone else, which enrages Patrizia, uh, who goes back to the psychic and, you know, as you do, asks her to help carry out an assassination plot. According to Lady Gaga, she spent 18 months staying in character to prepare for the role, nine months of which she used nothing but that accent the entire time. I, I, I understand method acting is like a thing. Mm -hmm. And I understand that you have to get comfortable with a voice and a tone and a, an accent that you're going to use. That would drive me insane. Yeah. To be around that person. Yeah. But, you know, um, Patrizia, the character that uh, Lady Gaga plays, uh, later said she was angry at Lady Gaga for not trying to meet her before portraying her in the film. She said, quote, I am rather annoyed at the fact Lady Gaga is playing me in the new Ridley Scott film without having had the consideration and sensibility to come and meet me. I'll say it. Don't blame her. Yeah. For not wanting to meet you. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I thought oh. you were siding with Patricia, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. 
Oh, no, no. Uh, I'm just saying it's to me, it's like if I I could do an episode on a serial killer, but I don't want to do one after I've interviewed one. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't need to interview people involved in the case. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I understand why she was like, I'm good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, fun fact about the movie. Salma Hayek's husband in real life is the president and CEO of the French luxury group Caring, which, as of 2021, owns Gucci. Crazy. I didn't and know yes, that. I absolutely could have said the man's name, but I'll be honest, it's difficult to pronounce, and we all know Salma Hayek is the biggest draw in that relationship, so I stand by my choices. Now, as with movies based on real events, there are, of course, inconsistencies and things left out of the movie, including so many family members that got cut out of this thing. Mm. I don't blame them for their choices, but still. So now is the time that we, to quote, would I lie to you host Rob Bryden, separate the fact from the fiction. <laughs> Shout out to Rob Bryden. David Mitchell, and Lee Mack, you have a lovely program. <laughs> Speaking of Brits, anyhow. So, we are going to get into the true story about famous fashion house Gucci. I had to Google how to pronounce this gentleman's name. It was not how I would have, so I'm really glad that I Googled. Yeah. Because it would have been... A nightmare. But, oh God, I forgot how long his name is. Guccio, Giovan Battista, Giacinto, Dario Maria Gucci. Wowzer. Was born May 26th, 1881 in Florence, Tuscany. His father, Gabriello, was a leather maker who sold leather bags, belts, and accessories to tourists. This clearly left an impact on his son, who would later become one of the biggest names in the fashion industry. But before getting into the business, Guccio went to London, where he got a job as a dishwasher at the famed Savoy Hotel. He then worked his way up to the position of waiter, then bellhop, concierge, and finally elevator assistant, the latter was fairly impressive because the Savoy was the first hotel in the world to have an electric elevator. Huh. There we go. Weirdly enough, according to the author of the House of Gucci novel, the Savoy Hotel claims they have no record of Guccio ever working there. So are the records incomplete? Or was Guccio simply trying to link himself to a luxury five-star hotel? It honestly could go either way. Right. So in 1901, Guccio marries Ada Cavelli. Uh, the movie made it seem as though Guccio and Ada only had two sons, but they had six children altogether. Wow. So a lot of people got left out. Uh, Guccio adopted Ada's two-year-old son, Hugo, from a previous relationship. The couple then had five children, including... Grimalda, born in 1903, um, Enzo, born in 1904, Aldo in 1905, 
Vasco in 1907 and Rodolfo in 1912. Sadly, Enzo died in 1913 at the age of nine. Mm. And no, I don't know why, but in 1913, I mean, sky's the limit. Yeah. For, uh, for that sort of thing. So. In 1906, the Gucci family returned to Florence, where Guccio opened a saddlery shop. Uh, in 1920, the shop's name changed to the House of Gucci. And the following year, it started selling luxury goods uh, with a focus on artisanal leather. Now, there are some questions about the legitimacy of the company's beginnings. Uh, Guccio claimed his family descended from the Medici who were basically an Italian banking and political dynasty who ruled Florence between the 15th and 18th centuries. Due to this claim, customers immediately associated Gucci with upper class and high society. The family of o- was, of course, no way related to this dynasty. Um, I love that he just so easily got away with it because, again, who's going to fact check you? Right. In the early 1900s, the answer is no one. So, uh, there we go. But maybe because of him lying, House of Gucci became so successful that Guccio expanded and in 1939 opened a second store in Rome. The brand's iconic double G logo was created in 1933 by Guccio's son, Aldo. Uh, When World War II broke out in Italy, people lost interest in designer luggage and handbags, and all fashion houses in Italy and Germany started using their production to make leather goods uh, for the war effort. Guccio's sons, Aldo, Vasco, and Rodolfo, uh, who at this point had become his business partners, convinced their father to open a new shop in Milan in 1951. It then became the go-to place to buy handbags. But then, Guccio's sons decided it was time to expand the business into America because they wanted to open a store in New York. Guccio was hesitant, but he finally agreed to it. But sadly, Guccio died in January 1953, just 15 days after the New York store opened. He was 71 years old. Later that year, the Gucci loafer with metal horse bit was created. Apparently, that's a signature Gucci piece. It is. I I would not know. Fashion to me is hoodies and pajama pants. So it is what it is. Uh, In the 60s, Gucci handbags became the ultimate status symbol in America, probably because celebrities kind of kept getting linked to it. Uh, Then President John F. Kennedy... Uh, got linked to them, Jackie O, and Princess of Monaco, Grace Kelly, uh, who actually gifted her bridesmaids Gucci scarves before her wedding in 1956. Ten years later, the company designed their now iconic Flora scarf print just uh, for Princess Grace. So Guccio had left the company to his sons. They diversified the product line. They opened more international locations, including a store in Tokyo in 1972. But I'd I'd like to focus on the seemingly simple statement that Guccio left Gucci to his sons. Typically, but not always, but typically, 
a parent leaves what they have to their children when they die. At the time of his death, Gucho had five children, so it would be a good assumption that he would leave each of his children one-fifth of the Gucci company. Of course, it would also make sense for Gucho to leave everything to his wife and then kind of let her sort it out, uh, however she saw fit. But he took another route, uh, apparently, while dictator Benito Mussolini was in power, Gucho's oldest son, Hugo, got involved with Italy's fascist party. Oh. And Gucho then got worried about linking the Gucci name with anything Nazi-related. Uh, so he essentially paid Hugo a very large sum of money in exchange for ever giving him future rights to the company. So he bought him out. He did. He did. I guarantee it wasn't the amount it was worth, probably. Yeah. Uh, Hugo died in 1973 at the age of 74. So then, I know what you're thinking. Okay, so he paid that one off. So then he left the company to his remaining four children, right? No. He split Gucci equally among his sons, Aldo, Vasco, and Rodolfo, but what about that fourth child? Ah, oh, she couldn't have any part of Gucci because the fourth child in question was a woman. And according to Guccio, no woman was permitted to be a partner in Gucci. Fun. Gross. <laughs> Worse yet is that Guccio's daughter, Grimalda, had been working at Gucci for years. They even said she helped save it from bankruptcy. In 1924, Grimalda did, of course, receive land and about 12 million lira, which, based on inflation, would be about 77,000 U.S. dollars as of 2024. Wow. Um, sure, a decent amount of money, but not even close to what a quarter of Gucci yeah, would have been of course. in 1953. So Grimalda who said her father had led her to believe she would be left part of the company, fought that will in court. Her brothers ensured that she didn't get a piece of it. Fucking dicks. Wow. Grimalda died in 1989 at the age of 86. So when Guccio died, the shares in Gucci were split amongst Aldo, Vasco, and Rodolfo. And when Vasco died... In 1974, his wife, Maria, inherited his stake in the company. But since she didn't seem to give a shit about Gucci, and good honor for that, Maria sold her stake to Aldo and Rodolfo. Now, Rodolfo, who was played in the movie by the one and only Jeremy Irons, was born in 1912 and was the youngest member of the family. He opted to not join the family business, instead choosing to become an actor during his late teens, using the stage name Maurizio Dancora. He appeared in 40 films between 1929 and 1946, at which point he decided, oh, okay, now it's time to join the family business, and he went to work for his father. Again, I mention Rodolfo, Initially chose another path, which is great, 
and well within his right, and I'm happy he found his passion. He worked for Gucci for about six years before his father's death. And for those few years, he was left a third of the company. His sister, Grimalda, worked for the company for 30 years and was even praised as saving it from bankruptcy early on. And she didn't get a single piece of that company simply because she was a woman. Mm. The misogynistic bullshit, especially when she wasn't given an inheritance remotely close to what her brothers got, financially speaking. I will move on from this thought, but just know that I will continue to rage about it internally, likely for life. So just know that. So Vasco dies in 1974. It leaves Aldo and Rodolfo as equal partners in the company. Uh... Speaking of Aldo, we have to get into the drama that went down between him and his son. Yes. So Aldo was played in the movie by Al Pacino. He was born in 1905. Aldo, not Al Pacino. Although, God, he's got to be close. Anyhow, (laughs) when was Al Pacino born? Doesn't matter. I'll look it up. No, I won't. God, I'm a mental mess. A chaos coordinator. So Aldo started working for House of Gucci when he was a teenager. He got an economics degree at San Marco College and then went back to House of Gucci to work full time. Aldo was chairman of Gucci from 1953 until 1986. Fun fact, then President John F. Kennedy named Aldo the Italian ambassador to fashion. Is that real? Because that sounds made up. That sounds like, I, I, I mean, it just sounds like something I would say. Like, you are the ambassador of fashion. Like, that just feels, get out. Anyhow. So in his early 20s, Aldo started a relationship with Olwyn Price, a 19-year-old who, at the time, was working as a personal assistant to Princess Elizabeth of Romania. When the princess discovered that Aldo had gotten Olwyn pregnant, She hard insisted that the couple get married, which they did in October 1927. Aldo and Olwyn went on to have three sons, Giorgio in 1928, Paolo in 1931, and Roberto in 1932. What's interesting is the movie made it seem like Paolo was an only child. I guess Ridley Scott didn't find anything juicy enough to warrant including the other two brothers. In his defense, there are a lot of members of this family, so it, for the sake of avoiding confusion, it makes sense to cut some of them out of the movie, especially when some are not as vital to the story uh, as others. But confusion or not, you're going to get them with me, because if I have to learn it, so do you. There's a ferret named Bambi. Anyhow. <laughs> I can't wait. I've, I've lost my mind. So, in 1963... 31 years after the birth of his third son, Aldo had a fourth child, but this time with his mistress. Oh, boy. In 1958, Aldo met Bruna Palumbo, a young girl who started working at House of Gucci. At the time, 
Not only was Aldo married, but Bruna was engaged to someone else. Oh, right. And Aldo was 53 and Bruna was 20. Soon after, wouldn't you know, Bruna got brought up to being Aldo's personal secretary. And then in 1963, Bruna secretly gave birth to Aldo's daughter, Patricia. At the time in Italy, divorce was illegal. But then again, so was adultery. <laughs> Aldo chose to keep his family separate with Alwyn and his sons living in Italy and Bruna and their daughter living in Britain. But soon, Aldo moved Bruna and Patricia to America. In 1981, the couple were married, even though Aldo was still legally married to Olwyn, despite divorce becoming legal in Italy in 1970. Uh, at the time of the wedding, Aldo was 76, Bruna 44. I don't know when Olwyn and her sons learned about this secret family. I know that while living in America, Aldo lived very openly with Bruna as his wife. Uh, at one point, Aldo said he wanted to introduce his daughter to his sons. I don't know if that ever happened. Aldo's first family definitely knew about the second family when Aldo died in January 1990, uh, because in his will, Aldo left his American estate to Bruna and their daughter. Aldo's first wife, Olwyn filed a petition and outright accused Bruna of fraud, saying that only Olwyn was entitled to the widow's share of the estate. Not only did Olwyn hate her husband's mistress and hated her for getting a piece of the pie, I think she was bothered by the fact that the will outright made the statement that Aldo openly acknowledged Patricia as his daughter. And maybe Olwyn knew about the affair all along and was willing to turn a blind eye as long as Aldo was discreet. Uh, point is, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So in 1980, after at this point, I, Aldo is decades into an affair. His son, Paolo, who's played in the movie by Jared Leto, decides he wants to start his own company. But the thing is, he wants to use the Gucci name in his own company. So Paolo had been the chief designer for the company and was vice president as of 1978. So a couple years later, he's like, hey, dad, I'm going to start my own company, but I'd like to use the Gucci name in my new company. Uh, Aldo says no. Um, he said absolutely cannot happen. To further drive his point home, Aldo threatened litigation against his own son if Paolo were to move ahead with his own company. The father-son relationship continued to be rocky. In 1982, there was a boardroom meeting. Aldo physically attacked his son uh, after his son admitted to bringing a tape recorder into the room. Aldo allegedly tried to wrestle the tape away from his son. Uh, Paolo's cousin tried to hold him back. Paolo allegedly left the meeting with lacerations on his face. The family lawyer says, quote, it was just a little scratch. The incident was blown 
into a fiasco. Apparently, the scuffle made headlines around the world and resulted in Jackie Onassis sending a telegram to Aldo that simply said, Why? If you, like, what the fuck does that feel like? To get mothered by Jackie O. To have her be like, what is wrong with you? I mean, she put up with her husband's infidelity for so long, quietly. And for this to be like, what the fuck, Aldo? Like, that's, how bad do you have to be? Pretty bad. Paolo gets fired. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Aldo made his daughter Patricia the first woman on the Gucci board. She was 19 at the time. Wowzer. Which I'm sure, I mean, kudos for being like, fuck that. But you know he didn't do it for like, women can do whatever. He did it just just because he's a fucking spiteful old man. Yeah. He didn't do it for the right reasons, is my point. No. But Paolo then filed a $13 million lawsuit for breach of contract, causing him emotional harm, and physically attacking him during a meeting of the board of directors. Paolo, besides the lawsuit, then tipped off the IRS that his father might have some tax problems. Whoa. There was a huge investigation which resulted in Aldo pleading guilty to tax evasion in January 1986. Technically, Aldo pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy and two counts of fraud in a scheme involving sham foreign corporations, false billing procedures, and the diversion of personal use of funds intended for business purposes between 1977 and 1982. It was said that Aldo failed to pay about $7.4 million Oof. in income tax. Uh, that is equivalent to nearly $21 million in 2024. He faced up to 15 years in prison, but was officially sentenced to one year and one day. He was also given a $30,000 fine and five years probation. Aldo was 81 at the time of his sentencing. He was released from prison after four months and then had to do a year of community service. Aldo's daughter said that prison left him, quote, a ghost of his former self. However, in a letter that Aldo wrote from prison to another mistress. Oh, my God. Aldo stated, quote, I am glad to be here because I'm finding it incredibly restful, both mentally and physically. So was prison hell for you or not? It's tough to say. I read he was given phone privileges in his own cell, and that even though he was let out early, most of those, like a part of the four months he was supposedly in prison, he spent living in a halfway house in Palm Beach. Oh, boy. So I don't know if it was exactly as much hell uh, as his daughter made it seem. So what happened to the Gucci family when Aldo went to prison? And what about that murder-for-hire plot that Lauren so eloquently mentioned in that early synopsis? Well, we'll find out about that and more after the break. 
You heard the lady. It's time for us to take a break. Grab another drink. Hit the can. Take a piss. And we'll be back with more on the House of Gucci episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the House of Gucci story. Uh, Before the break, Christy was getting into some uh, fathers uh, fighting sons, sons turning on fathers. And I got to say, I'm still deeply engaged in this ferret named Bambi. Who knows when she's going to crop up? So am I. What's next? Um, Well, one thing I don't mention in this, but something I found interesting. For the movie, Jared Leto, they put in like, in like heavy prosthetics and a fat suit. Yeah. Wildly different from the man he was portraying. Really? The fam the family was very insulted. <laughs> That's hilarious. And the suits were all like loud, super bright colors, like close to like Joker-esque type outfits. And the family were like, what the fuck? That is wow. not him at all. Like they that was one of the biggest insults they had was how they made Jared Leto look. That's so funny. <laughs> I I was immediately fascinated by because I was like, yeah, that would be my biggest issue. Yeah. If someone made me look a certain way on screen, I'd be like, is that how I look to you? Yeah, that like, would be a Yeah, nightmare. that would be. Oh, 100%. So the focus is what happened to the Gucci company when Aldo was sent to prison? Well, remember, at the, after the death of their brother in 1974, Aldo and Rodolfo became equal partners in the company. But then after that, Aldo took 10% of his half and split it equally between his three sons, which meant that Aldo owned 40% and Rodolfo owned 50%. So Rodolfo is now the majority shareholder of Gucci. So then when Rodolfo dies in 1983, his 50% of the company was left to his only child, Maurizio. And since Aldo's son, Paolo, was pissed at his dad and wanted him out of the company, 
Paolo thought the best way to do that would be to join forces with the new majority shareholder, Maurizio. Due to the tax evasion, uh, Aldo resigned as the head of Gucci uh, in 1984, but he was still chairman of their board of directors. The following year, with a bit of a nudge uh, from Paolo, Maurizio persuaded the rest of the board to remove Aldo as chairman and put Maurizio in his place. And while that may sound simple, it was actually part of a six-year legal battle. Oh, wow. So I chose to leave some things out uh, for the sake of not making it uh, the length of the movie. Of course. (laughs) You know, so... Um, we're just going to ignore most of that. Basically, Maurizio is now chairman uh, as of 1989. Unfortunately, Maurizio, uh, he didn't exactly have the best business sense, and he really badly mismanaged the company's finances, mainly because he spent an insane amount of money building a new headquarters in Florence. It caused Gucci to struggle financially because they weren't bringing in enough for how much he was spending on these built this building. Uh, Maurizio resigned in 1993 and sold his shares of the company to InvestCorp. We will get back uh, to InvestCorp. So we're going to focus for a moment on Maurizio because he is going to end up besides Bambi of course being the main focus of our episode today. Of course. Bambi has such a small part in this that I'm almost disappointed. I'm not almost. I'm fully disappointed. I know I am. So Maurizio was born in 1948. He was named after the stage name that his father Rodolfo was using during his acting career. His mother was an Italian actress named Sandra Ravel. Uh, who sadly passed away from uterine cancer in 1954 at the age of 44. Maurizio was just five years old at the time. When he was older, Maurizio attended Milan's Catholic University, where he received a law degree in 1973. The movie claimed Maurizio met Patrizia at a party in 1978. In reality, that happened in 1970. I don't know why they pushed the timeline ahead almost a decade. What difference did it make? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, So Maurizio meets Patrizia Reggiani at a party. Patrizia was working for her stepfather's trucking business. She was immediately drawn to Maurizio, who was, of course, an attractive law student at the time. You could see the appeal. But Maurizio's father, Rodolfo, was convinced Patrizia was just a social climber after his son's money. Patrizia was born in December of 1948. She grew up poor until she was about 12 years old when her mother married a wealthy entrepreneur with his own trucking company. Childhood friends say Patrizia's childhood was difficult and she was determined to never go back to poverty again. Rodolfo threatened to kick his son out of the Gucci family if he continued his relationship with Patrizia, and in a move that would later prove fatal, 
Maurizio chose Patrizia, and the couple was married in October 1972. In the movie, Patrizia's side of the church was full, like absolutely packed at the wedding. Maurizio's side had literally two people. I cannot confirm how many people were actually on his side at the wedding, but I do know that absolutely no one from the Gucci family attended that wedding. And it's not like they went and got married in America or like it's not like right. they went a distance. They were literally right there and absolutely nobody went. Uh, Rodolfo even tried unsuccessfully, be it, uh, to get the Archbishop of Milan to stop the wedding. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, didn't happen. They ended up getting married. Uh, Rodolfo then made good on his threat and took Maurizio out of his will. After the wedding, Maurizio and Patrizia moved to New York, where Maurizio worked for his uncle, Aldo. The company continued to prosper in America with the addition of their first fragrance in 1975 and a second New York location in the early 80s. The first location was at 689 Fifth Avenue. It focused on shoes, luggage, handbags, and accessories. The new location, which was 699 Fifth Avenue, uh, focused solely on clothing. Uh, Despite the movie making it seem like Maurizio and Patrizia had only one daughter, in reality, they actually had two. Why they left out one of the children, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. But Alessandra was born in June 1976, and Allegra was born in January 1981. The relationship between Maurizio and his father got better with the birth of the first grandchild. Rodolfo even bought the couple a penthouse in New York as like a, hey, hey, you're back in sort of maybe situation. They eventually returned to Milan in 1982, and at some point, things took a turn Because on his deathbed in 1983, Rodolfo made his brother Aldo promise not to let Patrizia near any company shares. I also love that he thought his brother could stop it. But after Rodolfo's death, Maurizio and Aldo battled over the company. They had very conflicting visions on how they wanted the business to go. Uh, And when Aldo was kicked out, Maurizio just kind of like steamrolled ahead with what he thought was best. Um, And that basically involved convincing his relatives to all sell their shares in the company to an investor. Because Maurizio got it in his head that that was the only way he could have true control over Gucci would be if he was the only one with shares. So Maurizio teams up with an investment banking and asset management company called InvestCorp, um, who somehow managed to convince the other Gucci family members to sell their shares. In 1987, uh, Paolo sold his shares to InvestCorp for $42.5 million, which is equivalent to like $115 million in 2024, uh, but due to some Poor financial choices. Paolo filed for bankruptcy in 1993 and died from chronic hepatitis in 1995 at the age of 64. 
Rodolfo had wanted the company to stay within the family, but, oh, God, Maurizio made a real financial mess of it, and a lot of the family members were just kind of ready to cut and run. Even uh, Maurizio chose to sell 47.8% of his 50% stake in the company in 1998. Uh, Aldo was the final family holdout. He sold his shares to InvestCorp in 1989, uh, and he died from cancer the following year at the age of 84. So with very, very small shares in the company, Maurizio planned to fully relaunch Gucci. He felt the brand lost its exclusivity. He brought in top people from Bergdorf Gordman, good for Gordman, Goodman. Uh, he brought in new designer Tom Ford. Uh, unfortunately, between 1991 and 1993, Gucci's financials were in the red, mainly because of Maurizio sinking so much money into that new headquarters. And with no end in sight, Maurizio finally sold his remaining shares to InvestCorp for $170 million in 1993, which is like $361 million in 2024. And sadly, with that sale, the Gucci family was now no longer associated with their own brand. Which is shocking because if you had asked me prior to this, I would have been like, obviously the Gucci family is run by the Gucci, or Gucci is run right. by the Gucci family. It is absolutely not. That's wild. So two years later, the brand is thriving under the new leadership of their new CEO, who happened to be Domenico de Soleil, um, who was the Gucci's family lawyer. Um, and head designer Tom Ford. As of this record, there are like 500 Gucci outlets worldwide, and the company brings in, oh, just a maybe about like 10 billion a year. Wow. Yeah. And again, the Gucci family sees none of that, which is wild. Yeah. To me, it just feels like, how the hell did you let that happen? It's bad. Well, yeah. Oh, it's not good. Yeah. So just when you think we're done with the family drama, we have to go back to Maurizio and Patrizia. There's a reason the movie focused on them because they're where you want to go. She said the first few years together were great. To quote her, quote, Maurizio felt free with me. We had fun. We were a team. We were a beautiful couple. And we had a beautiful life. The couple attended countless parties. Uh, Patrizia relished in her role as a socialite. Maurizio celebrated the birth of their second daughter by purchasing a 64-foot yacht named the Creole. As of this record, apparently the daughters still own that yacht. It's said to be worth millions. But, you know, hey. Uh, the family also had a farm in Connecticut a holiday home in Acapulco, and a ski chalet in St. Moritz, which is uh, Switzerland. So life was going well for Patrizia. She enjoyed the luxury that being a Gucci offered her. She said everything changed in her marriage after the death of Maurizio's father. 
Patricia said, quote, Maurizio got crazy. Until then, I was his chief advisor about all Gucci matters, but he wanted to be the best, and he stopped listening to me. But something else happened um, when Maurizio's father died. As I mentioned earlier, Rodolfo was not a fan of Patrizia and had even cut his son out of the will for marrying her. And then, of course, after the birth of his first grandchild, Rodolfo had a change of heart and reunited with his son. But it turns out that when Rodolfo added Maurizio back into his will, he kind of forgot to sign the share certificates, which would give Maurizio 50% of Gucci. Oh, boy. In 1985, Rodolfo's brother Aldo accused Maurizio of forging his father's signature on those certificates so that he could avoid paying a very large inheritance tax. Maurizio denied any wrongdoing and, like all innocent people, immediately fled on a motorcycle to Switzerland, where there happens to be no extradition treaty with Italy. Mm. And as an added bonus, he already had that chalet there. So he had a place to go. Uh, after Maurizio fled, Patrizia told police that Paolo was the one who forged the signature. And when they didn't buy that, she blamed the family lawyer, Domenico de Soleil. The movie heavily implies that Patrizia was the one who forged the signature. Um... And Maurizio's longtime assistant, Roberta Casal, later claimed that was absolutely true. However, according to the book that the movie is based on, Roberta was allegedly the real forger because Marie Maurizio asked her to. Roberta said it was her own assistant that falsely signed the documents 24 hours after Rodolfo's death, uh, she admitted the certificates had to be reprinted because the initial signatures just didn't turn out right. <laughs> so they had to reprint them and start again. After Maurizio's driver tipped him off that the Italian financial police were coming to arrest him and search his offices, uh, he got out of Dodge. And yes, before you ask, because I questioned it myself. Yes, it turns out there is a completely separate police force in Italy specifically for financial crimes and smuggling. Or at least at the time there was. Uh, Maurizio was originally found guilty. He was acquitted in 1986. And if you thought that asking your assistant to forge your father's signature less than a day after his death just so you could avoid paying some extra taxes was the last drama I was bringing you today. You'd be wrong. During all this forgery drama, in March 1985, Maurizio tells his wife he's going on a business trip to Florence. The very next day, Maurizio sent a friend to tell his wife the marriage was over and he was never coming back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Leaving your wife of nearly 13 years and making a friend tell her is bold. And really, 
it's the it's exactly what he did with the forgery stuff. He got scared and he ran. And while they we may be shocked uh, and maybe even a little angered by a man who up and abandoned his family, Patrizia didn't seem that bothered. <laughs> she said, quote, I was angry with Maurizio about many, many things at the time, but above all, losing the family business. It was stupid. It was a failure. I was filled with rage, but there was nothing I could do. He shouldn't have done that to me. Done that to me? Her, to, The biggest thing you think he did to you was lose the family business. I, it's not great. I, as a redhead, I can be quick to anger about many things. Uh, so I guarantee you, I'd be more pissed at my husband for abandoning me and our children uh, and being too chicken shit to tell me himself than I would be about him fucking up at work. Yeah. Um, but Patrizia loved being linked to Gucci. She loved the money, the power, and the influence that came with that brand. She is once quoted as saying, quote, I would rather weep in a Rolls Royce than be happy on a bicycle. Wow. And I think that tells us volumes. Yeah. Um, about her and her priorities. So it makes sense that her focus would be on the money and prestige of Gucci, you know, over her feelings about her relationship. It also makes sense she wouldn't be upset about Maurizio leaving her until he met someone else and asked for a divorce. Right. In the late 80s, Maurizio reconnected with a childhood friend, Paola Frankie. And yes, I know, this story already has a Paolo, so I'm adding a Paola. It gets confusing. I don't like it any more than you do, but Paolo is no longer in our story, so hopefully that helps. Hopefully from now on, you think when I say Paola, you don't think of Jared Leto in a fat suit. <laughs> because that is not different Different person. Different person, yeah. It's just like, Kit Bant. Like, it's just too many names I can barely pronounce, and it's just so close, but... <coughs> so... Paola, who was, I believe, an artist and uh, interior designer, um, she actually attended Maurizio and Patrizia's wedding back in 1972. Because they'd been friends forever. So, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe she was the one person on his side. Wouldn't that have been something? Yeah. Anyhow. So, Maurizio and Paola reunite. Sparks fly. Apparently, Paola was married at the time but left her husband in 1991 to be with Maurizio. According to Patrizia, quote, Then Paola came on the scene and he asked me for a divorce. When I found out Maurizio wanted to marry this person, who had been a friend of mine, I thought, that's not possible. I was sure he was ignoring his daughters to be with Paola. Maurizio was cutting us out. He no longer wanted to see his family. Maurizio lived with Paola and her son Charlie from a previous relationship for about five years. In 1995, Charlie was 11 years old, just to give you an idea um, of his age. So at the time, Maurizio 
planned on marrying Paola, so he officially divorced Patrizia in 1994. After that, she was legally prohibited from using Gucci as her surname. Wow. She, of course, said fuck it and continues to use it to this day. (laughs) Because, as one close friend stated, being a Gucci, quote, was her whole identity, even as an ex-wife. Right. In the first divorce settlement proposed by Maurizio's lawyers, they offered to pay her $3.2 million plus an additional $825,000 a year in alimony. She said 825 a year is, quote, a mere bowl of lentils, and she rejected it. I'll take 825 grand a year. <laughs> but I think I can make it I think I can make it stretch. Yeah. I can make it work. I can make it work. Oh god. Um to be clear, that is equivalent to uh 1.7 million in uh 2024. She did hold out and she ended up getting 1.47 million a year, which is closer to about 3 million now. So I guess she did right in holding out because she got more. Yeah. And then on March 27th, 1995, while arriving at his office building at 8.30 a.m., Maurizio was shot four times. Wow. Three in the back, one, I believe, uh, in the temple. The doorman, Giuseppe Onorato, who had been sweeping leaves in the doorway at the time of the incident, was shot twice before the shooter fled the scene. Giuseppe managed to survive, although he said he suffered panic attacks after going back to work once he was healed. Maurizio Gucci died at the scene. He was 46 years old. The day after his death, Paola and her son moved out of the house that they had shared with Maurizio. The movie claimed that Patrizia kicked them out, uh, but in an interview with Vanity Fair, Allegra, uh, one of her daughters, claimed that Patrizia was not involved in any way. However, from the best I can tell, Patrizia absolutely personally served Paola with an eviction notice, which had been written at 11 a.m., less than three hours after Maurizio's death. Wow. But of course, Patrizia would want to get rid of Paola. Patrizia was angry at Maurizio for neglecting and abandoning her. And what better way to get revenge than to evict his girlfriend and cause her unnecessary emotional distress? Not to mention, Patrizia was was likely trying to punish Paola for trying to take what Patrizia felt was rightfully hers. And that is... Maurizio's money. Because if Paola and Maurizio had in fact gotten married, Patrizia would have received half of her alimony. And she didn't even like three quarters of that alimony. That wasn't enough for her. So imagine her on half. I don't know what she'd do. The investigation into Maurizio's murder went on for nearly two years. While the police suspected that Patrizia was involved, simply because she had publicly threatened to kill him on more than one occasion, they had no solid evidence and no way to charge her. 
When first asked about Maurizio's death, Patrizia said, quote, My nanny told me that Maurizio was shot. First, I couldn't believe it. And then I thought, my problems are gone. And then just sorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, but then in January 1997, nearly two years after the crime, the police received an anonymous tip that a night porter from Milan named Ivano Saviano, Sav- Saviani, bragged to people at a bar that he killed Maurizio Gucci. When police looked into it, they discovered that Ivano had been hired by Pina Ariema, played in the movie by the always stunning Selma Hayek. Mm-hmm. Now, Pina, Pina, uh, however we're saying that, uh, was a psychic to the rich. Uh, she was a very close friend and spiritual advisor to Patrizia. Interesting. Pina admitted to the police that she had hired Ivano at Patrizia's request, thinking that he'd kill Maurizio or he would know someone who would because Ivano was having financial issues. So they just kind of assumed they shoved money at him and he'd do whatever. Ivano agreed to plan the entire murder. Uh, in turn, he contacted Orazio Chicala who agreed to be the getaway driver, and Benedetto Ciroli, who agreed to be the shooter simply because he was also struggling in debt. Now, there are so many discrepancies uh, online about how much each person was allegedly paid for their involvement in the crime, so I'm not even going to bother. But it was said that Benedetto used his money uh, to build a house. Ivano paid off some loan sharks, which is why he agreed to do that in the first place. Uh, and Orazio just lost all of it gambling, which then just feels like, how worth it was this yeah. at this point? But, I mean, you killed a person. It wasn't worth it at all, but still. On January 31st, 1997, Patrizia and her alleged four accomplices were arrested for the murder of Maurizio Gucci, the trial started in June 1998 for all five defendants. Patrizia was painted as a greedy, scorned woman who was desperate for revenge. The media referred to her as Vadova Nera, which translates to Black Widow, bringing us back to Marvel. Of course. It was said that Patrizia was angry at the thought of being replaced by Paola if Maurizio were to remarry. She believed that she earned the power, money, and status that came with being Mrs. Maurizio Gucci, and she was not about to share the title. It was also said if he remarried, her alimony cut in half. But Patrizia said her only concern was that if her ex-husband remarried, their daughters would lose some of their inheritance. It was said not only was Patrizia angry, but she made public threats against Maurizio, just constantly telling family and friends and literally anyone who would listen, she wanted him dead. And then, Paola admits in court, quote, 
Patrizia was stalking us. She still had spies in Maurizio's circles, and she knew all about our plans, his business dealings, everything. She called many times abusing him and threatening to kill him. Um, I begged him to hire a bodyguard, but he refused. He didn't believe Patrizia would go through with her threat because of their daughters. And when she would, she would often call just harassing, angry, angry phone calls. So, of course, at some point, he's going to get tired of that and stop answering her calls. So when he did that, she would send her complaints to him on cassette tapes, which is like a really old school way of sending a voice note. Yeah. I am livid that we did not think to send audio recorded letters back and forth in our youth. Yeah. Fuck. What was what were we thinking? And also, you think he's going to listen? You're like, he's not taking my call, but he'll, once he sees a cassette tape, he can't help himself. Yeah, great point. It's just amazing that she recorded it and then sent it. That's, I mean, that's one of the funnest and funniest things um, I had heard. But on the tapes, which were played in court, uh, Patrizia can be heard. She's calling him a monster. And she told him that an inferno was coming for him. A little bit damning there. Yeah. Patrizia admitted to being angry. She said, yeah, I wished he was dead. Uh, but she didn't really want him dead. She said, quote, I was asking everyone. I would have even asked the butcher, but I didn't really mean it. Mm hmm. Uh -huh. She maintained her innocence throughout the trial with her lawyers claiming that Patrizia's public threats were merely the dramatic ramblings of a mentally unwell woman. However, it was pointed out that a psychiatric panel interviewed Patrizia before the trial and found her to be mentally competent. So to try and now claim insanity was not going to work. Patrizia claimed her personal psychic, Pina, was the real guilty party. They met at an Italian spa in 1976, quickly became close friends. During the trial, both women kind of just said the other one was the mastermind. Patrizia admitted, yes, she had expressed a desire to kill her ex-husband, but she was just blowing off steam. And she had no idea about the assassination plot until after his death. She did admit to paying Pina $250,000, but she claimed she only did because Pina blackmailed her. Patrizia said, quote, never let even a friendly fox into the chicken coop. Sooner or later, it could get hungry. She's just speaking in podcast quotes, you know what I mean? Totally. It's like the whole time she's like, I'm ready to be put on merch. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. just feels, I mean, God, she would have loved that. Anyhow. So according to Patrizia, Pina arranged the murder herself and then threatened to frame Patrizia if she didn't pay. Cross-examination. She's asked, did you pay her? Patrizia is like, yeah, I told you I paid her the 250 grand. And then without even thinking about it, she goes, Quote, it was worth every lira. 
Which doesn't. What's she doing? Sound like simple blackmail at that. No. At that point. But no matter what was said about Patrizia in court, because they railed on her for like, she's she's the worst. She's angry. She's just a scorned woman. No matter what, she kept her head high and showed up every single day wearing head-to-toe Gucci. That's incredible. Including accessories. Yeah, which is either a ballsy move in a court case about the murder of a Gucci family member, or it's simply because... Gucci was the main clothing that she owned. I'm inclined to believe the latter, but I have to believe at least partially it was some sort of power move. Totally. Because it feels like if she's going to, if anyone's going to power move, it's going to be her. So while most of the things said about Patrizia could be labeled as hearsay, there was the damning evidence of her personal diary, which was found during a search of her home after she was arrested. On the date, March 27th, 1995, which was the day of Maurizio's murder, written in Greek, in all capitals, was the word paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, it's amazing this woman is real. Yeah. So the jury deliberated for nearly seven hours, and on November 3rd, 1998, the court declared all five defendants, including Patrizia, guilty. That day, Gucci stores hung silver handcuffs featuring the Gucci logo in their store windows across Italy. (laughs) Yep. Uh, For hiring the people involved, Pina was sentenced to 25 years. In 2010, she was released after just 13 for good behavior. In 2020, Pina said that Patrizia had been humiliated when Maurizio started dating another woman. She said, quote, something in her snapped. Maybe it was a blow to her narcissism. She'd ask all of Milan to find a murderer. Nobody took her seriously. I was the only fool. For being the main organizer of the crime, Ivano was sentenced to 26 years, while Orazio was sentenced to 29 for being the getaway driver. For being the one who officially pulled the trigger, Benedetto was sentenced to life. Patrizia was given 29 years. Patrizia's daughters argued that their mother's conviction should be overturned due to a brain tumor that they claimed altered their mother's personality and behavior. Which is true. In May 1992, Patrizia had a malignant brain tumor about the size of a mandarin. While it turned out to be benign, it required a surgery on her frontal lobe. And her daughters said, quote, from that moment on, she was never the same. We could see things. We could see this from small things. She loved playing cards and reading. Suddenly, she could no longer concentrate on cards or read a single line. The court denied the daughter's request. However, in 2000, when Patrizia argued that the surgery had made her capable of murder, a court of appeal agreed to reduce her sentence from 29 to 26 years. After her conviction, the court ordered Patrizia to pay $180,000 to Giuseppe Ornato, 
uh, who was the doorman at Maurizio's building, who was shot twice by Maurizio's killer. Uh, Giuseppe said he never did receive that money. Uh, In 2000, it was said Patrizia attempted to take her own life, but that she was discovered by prison guards before it was too late. In 2005, due to her low mental health, Patrizia's lawyers negotiated a special privilege, which allowed her to get a pet ferret, whose name was Bambi. There it is. I, I'm so sorry of how short this is going to be. It's not, it's not funny because I built up Bambi so high, only for my next statement to say, sadly, Bambi was killed when a fellow inmate sat on him. <laughs> From my understanding, she did have him for a few years. That's such a sad death. Oh, it's horrific. Also, you let one person in that prison have a pet? Yeah, that's weird. Uh Uh-huh. Because you can't tell me she's the only one in that prison with mental health problems. Oh, well, yeah. So, you know, anyhow. So, uh... Patrizia was also given a short release in December 2011 so she could attend her daughter's wedding, which, you know, isn't typically what happens when you're in prison for murder. Typically not. In 2011, Patrizia was offered an early release, but it was part of a work release program. She turned it down, saying, quote, I've never worked a day in my life and I don't intend to start now. <laughs> I mean, bold. But also, I i mean, when she first met her ex-husband, she was working for her stepfather. So never working a day probably wasn't accurate. But it is bold to turn down a chance at early release. Yeah. Uh, when asked about her time in prison, Patrizia said, quote, I slept a lot. I took care of my plants. I looked after Bambi, my pet ferret. I don't like to talk about it. It's all a bad dream to me. So again, wild that given the chance to get out early, she wouldn't jump at it. Patrizia was officially released in October 2016 after serving 18 years. She was eventually hired to be a design consultant for a costume jewelry company called Bozart, uh, even after serving time for having a member of the Gucci family murdered, Patrizia said she hoped one day to return to Gucci, saying, quote, They need me. I still feel like a Gucci. In fact, the most Gucci of them all. Oh, boy. She's a lot. Um, She's just, what what can I say? She's a bold lady. Um, Like how she set up her ex-husband's murder and then just boldly attended his funeral as though she wasn't absolutely (laughs) responsible for it. Yeah, great point. Uh, This is also the same woman who, uh, after her release, was asked, why did you hire a hitman? And she said, quote, my eyesight is not so good. I didn't want to miss. Oh, my God. Bold. Uh, Patrizia, whose relationship with her daughters became quite strained while she was in prison, uh, ended up filing for bankruptcy after her release. But don't feel too bad for her. Uh, in 2017, a court ruled that despite being convicted for her ex-husband's murder, Patrizia was still entitled to receive the $1.5 million a year in alimony from his fortune. Not only that, but the court believed 
that Patrizia was entitled to receive a lump sum of $27 million, you know, to make up for the alimony that she didn't get because she was in prison. Wow. The court said the fact that she was convicted for arranging Maurizio's murder was irrelevant and that a deal is a deal. <laughs> and her alimony agreement from her divorce was valid. Wowzer. Her daughters were upset by the decision and said they would contest it, despite the fact that they had supported their mother throughout most of her time in prison. Uh, Patrizia said that she and her daughters uh, are currently going through a difficult time, saying, quote, they don't understand me and have cut me off or have cut off my financial support. I have nothing. Uh, it was said that uh, Patrizia became friends with a woman named uh, Laura Dana Cano uh, while she was in prison. And when they got out, um, Laura Dana allegedly stole millions from Patrizia. Oh, wow. So uh, Patrizia added another disappointment in her current life is that because of a court order, she's forced to live in a townhouse in Milan with her 89-year-old mother, <laughs> Silvana Reggiani, Reggiani, who Patrizia described as, quote, very difficult. She berates me every day for no reason. Uh, Patrizia's mother is the person who took uh, the daughters in when Patrizia uh, first went to prison. Uh, the girls have said that they believe their grandmother transferred money, which was meant for them, into her own personal account um, at one point. I don't know other details. Uh, but it feels like a very like mother, like daughter when it comes to being ruthless uh, regarding money. Right. Allegedly. Uh, maybe once you become accustomed to a certain lifestyle, it's difficult to go back to anything else. But if it's true, gross. Get your own money, Nana. And since I'm clearly just a level of unhinged, I'm just going to finish this off with an amazing quote from Patrizia, as though we haven't had many of those already. Quote, if I could see Maurizio again, I would tell him that I love him because he is the person who has mattered to me most in my life. I think he'd say the feeling wasn't mutual. <laughs> <laughs> Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. I mean, what a wild ride. Yeah, what a wild ride wild ride uh let's take one more break hit the can grab another drink and we'll be back to wrap up the house of gucci, gucci episode of true crime and cocktails this episode is brought to you by philo do you love tv do you love saving money then philo is your solution Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing House of Gucci. First note in my, uh, I've taken down here, are ferrets in the weasel family? I don't know. I'm just kind of assuming. Because they have that look to them. They've got the very long body. Yeah. I'll say it. I, I don't think I could hold one because I'm wor- it's just got so much spine. Mm. Um, so much torso, I should have said. But um, I want to pet that little fucking face. Well, here's the other thing. Quick yeah. Google says ferrets and weasels are in the same family. Oh, um, sure. Which apparently also includes skunks, wolverines, badgers, and otters. Oh, that checks. It's the... Mustelidae family? Anyway. um, Sure. Ferrets are generally much longer than weasels and range from 8 to 20 inches long nose to tail. Weasels are much smaller, only 10 to 12 inches. So if you're worried about a long spine, a weasel is more for you. (laughs) I don't think I want to pet a weasel, though, do I? They're pretty close to ferrets, aren't they? Are they cute? I don't know. When I think of a weasel, I think it's stealing eggs from a hen house. (laughs) Is it running like those raccoons in the video that pick up the dry food and then run with it? My favorite video on the internet ever. I've probably watched that 200 times. Oh, yeah. I'm torn between do I like that one the best or the one where they're walking and the light turns on and the guy is all standing, (laughs) standing frozen as though he wasn't. You know, it was the whole, like, act normal. And he's like, this is normal. That was not normal. Uh, I love that I'm looking up what is a... I'm looking up weasel. Yep. Oh, my God. Well, this is what's going to seal it for me. Look at that. Look at that bastard standing there. Come on. Cute. Okay. I thought... I guess I thought weasels were like... They get a bad rap. I think they get a bad rap. I guess they do because they look... So much furrier than what I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. You were thinking more skin. I think so. And I think I was, wasn't was thinking that cute of a face. But. Yeah. Oh, now Cheddar's screaming at me outside the door. Um, I mean, they, yeah, they're very cute. Eats chipmunks. What? Okay, I'm back off of them. Eats squirrel and chipmunk. I mean, hmm. they're incredibly cute. Yeah. It's the little tiny face for me. It's like it's like hamsters, right? Like It's why I'm so obsessed with meerkats, to be honest. Oh, I love meerkats cuz it's their face for me, it's it's the meerkat standing and it's the little dead arms that just hang in front of them while they're like looking up. Kill me. Yeah. They kill me. I took a picture of one at a zoo once and I swear to God, it saw my phone come out. It went, okay, hold on one second. And it looked at me and just slightly cocked its head directly into the camera, 
just with a slightly cocked head. It, it it was I felt like National Geographic. Like it was listen. It was the cutest thing. There's a reason the that they got their own show. Sure, you know I've never seen an episode. It's cute. Okay, thank God. I worry that they're going to be like, let's show predators. I well, don't know. you know what? I love that I just said Meerkat Manor is cute. Don't think I've ever watched an episode. So <laughs> why am I why am I saying that? Because you want to believe. Thank you, Fox Mulder. You want to believe. Next note, Jeremy Irons. I always forget about him. <laughs> yeah, I would. I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's just an upbringing of TBS constantly showing Die Hard 3. Of course. And I love a bad boy, and he takes her on the table, like on a desk or something, in a warehouse. <laughs> Bruce Willis interrupts it, but... He always does. He always does. <laughs> um, Lady Gaga stayed in character for 18 months. I don't... How? No. How? No. The only way we can do this show is if I can be myself. I couldn't put on a persona for two hours. 18 months? I don't buy no. that, though. How was she functioning in society? So all of her loved ones were like, oh, she's just Patrizia Gucci for the next two years? Like, come on. It's intense. When people are it's filming, I understand people stay in it. But typically, you're not going to sure. film for longer than four months. So this 18-month business, I can understand if she wanted to keep the accent going because it's maybe easier for her. I still think 18 months is absurd. But sure. to me, it's like, were you in character? Were you, I, I also want to fact check her. Now I'm like, now I'm fired sure. up about it where I'm like, well, let's find out what those days were. And then what? Did she do no press? Was she not seen in public once for 18 months? Well, she's, I mean, she said... For 18 months, and she said she did the accent for nine. So I don't know if filming was part of that nine, or if it was just like from the... Also, I want to know, what does it mean that you were in that character? Like, you were just a raging bitch? No offense, Patrizia. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you were just like, you hated everything, and you were like, I'm above all of you? You were just that for nine months, and then you were like, now I'll work on the accent. Yeah, yeah, great point. Great point. So you, a, she wasn't even fully in character yet if she wasn't doing the accent. Yeah, the accent was only half of it. But again, I don't know where filming is in that. I assume filming, did she do nine months up till the filming? Is that nine months including the filming? Yeah, it's a, a great questions. question. Great question. Yeah. I want to I want to know the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> It's nice that he wanted uh, the the company to have nothing to do with a Nazi. It's yeah. uh, it's too bad that he felt the need to reward him with money, but neither here nor there. Um, it's also too bad he was a misogynist. Well, there's that too. That. There's that yeah. too. Yeah, we got to take the wins where we can get them. Yeah. Interesting. This Jared Leto information. Like, why was that choice made then? Now I want to get into this even further. Like, it's like, who made that choice? Was it Jared Leto's choice? That seems like something he would do. It does. Yeah. It absolutely does. Um, the one thing I do have to comment on in general here is that it's interesting because there was multiple times during this 
where you would point out that the movie had like cut out children. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me because I don't know what is to be gained. Like, I understand that some of them may be superfluous to the overall story the movie is trying to tell. Sure. But why not just have them there? You don't have to, they don't have to do anything. It's yeah. odd to me to change the real life, those real life details. It's wild to me that it's like, I get that you don't want to have to go through like showing her pregnant, having her have another baby, all of that. But when you're showing a later, like years later thing, there could just be another child there. Right. Like the the public can understand, wait a minute. Right. You didn't have, you had one child before and suddenly there's two. What happened? They can put two and two together. Right. Well, and, and I also, this also just made me think of the movie Iron Claw, which, uh, of course, was starring um, Zac Efron and, and Jeremy Allen White about the Von Erich family, wrestling family, sure. who, of course, had a, just so much tragedy for one one family. Real life uh, story, obviously. So there, I believe there was five brothers depicted in the movie, but in sure. real life, there was six. There was an additional brother who sadly took his own life. And I think... It was because there was so much tragedy that befell that many brothers that I think the filmmakers in that case, they were like, we can't do a sixth. It was like, sure. we can't do one more, you know, which I guess I understand. But it is, again, it's interesting when it's a real life story and it's like, how do you determine which of the deaths was like the less meaningful for your plot line? Yeah, and at that point, if the move, if the whole point of the movie is like let's honor the family and show all this tragedy they all had to go through, why would you take that part out? I get that it's like yeah, you're just adding more to it, but it's like it would probably be nice to have that brother acknowledge. You would think that. I understand that. I think in in the case of that movie, it by the end of it, it's just so such a like barrage of sadness oh, that I understand sure. that one more may have felt like unrealistic. But again, I'm like, but it's a real life story. Real, real life is messy. There it is. There it is. One of the brothers lived for a, for the record. Spoiler. But also not a spoiler. It's based on a real life story. So to me, I don't think that there's spoilers I'll count. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I won't see it because I can't see Zac Efron without thinking like He-Man. Sure. Like that hair. I'm like, no, no. I can't. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I would rather weep in a Rolls Royce than be happy on a bicycle. Was Rodolfo right? Question mark is what I wrote down. Um, oh, he absolutely was. Yeah, it seems in the end that he was right. Yeah. Which I didn't want to believe. But, you know, and yet here we are. Yeah, this whole story is so fascinating. And it's fascinating to me. That the psych panel said she was competent, which it sounds like she probably was. But then for this additional info about the brain tumor. Now, obviously, if you listen to our show, you know what a big deal it is for frontal lobe trauma. It is, again, one of the traits that all serial killers possess or, or certainly the ones that, that we've heard the, that were, were tested. There was always frontal lobe trauma involved, usually in childhood. But it's interesting to me that she had that tumor, her personality changed, and it did affect the frontal lobe. I mean, 
there is something there. Does that mean that she should then not have to serve time for this crime? I mean, I don't think so. We wouldn't suggest that a, you know, Richard Ramirez had frontal lobe trauma, so therefore he shouldn't have to do time for those murders. Um, sure. It is just such a fascinating uh, detail for me. Um, also, the term an inferno is coming for you is something that I feel like I want to use in my life. Um, but then I also <laughs> feel like I don't want a paper trail. Should anything happen to someone, I don't want to be found guilty. Sure. And look, I'll say when I found out about that frontal lobe thing, I because a lot of times when I'm making notes, I talk to myself or a lot of times mm -hmm. when I'm trying to figure something out, I'll talk to myself out loud. My family's just become very used to it. Sure. Um but I did like r kind of run through the house. Well, I learned about it and then I was like, I got to go do something and then I've got to quickly write that down. And I did out loud say, Lauren's going to eat this up. <laughs> I was like, frontal lobe. You know me. I think it is more than possible like that that frontal lobe surgery caused her to like her emotions are now different. And that's why she was like, when someone's like, why'd you hire a hitman? And she's like, because I didn't want to miss. Yeah. I could see that being it, but you still arranged his murder. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, still... it is the judgment center of the brain, which, so again, it, that's why it makes people make bad, you know, poor judgment calls, obviously. Sure. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the move. It's not the move either way. Um, and then the, the final thought I have to say is hashtag justice for Bambi. hundred percent. What a terribly undignified death um, for what may have been an adorable ferret. Um, I will also say, I unfortunately don't know its name, but um, I don't know if it's still happening, but for years after being released, she was seen all over the place with a blue and yellow macaw that just sat on her shoulder. Interesting. Everywhere. Huh. She was apparently quite an animal lover. Or is, I should say. Well, there you go. Well, listen, Christy Oxborough, fantastic work as always. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't know a lot about this family. I I never watched the movie. That's not true. I started the movie. I fell asleep. I intended to go back to it. I never did. Um, I did find the sex scene with Gaga and Adam Driver compelling. How about that? <laughs> Uh, look, again, I, I said it in the beginning, like, before I, like, started researching this, I, I thought this was based in New York. Sure. Because I read Gucci and went, oh, that's New York. Get out, Christy. Like, that's, <laughs> it's very clearly a, an Italian name, but for some reason my brain was like, oh, obviously, obviously it's fashion in America. Right. So I, I was shocked when I, I was like, obviously, I'm like, okay, started in Italy, makes sense. I'm like, still in Italy. <laughs> like, I didn't see it coming. Um, so that was a surprise for me. And yeah, I knew nothing. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, this is this is making me feel like I want to watch it now. There you go. It feels hey, compelling. There we go. Um, so you did your job and they should be thanking you just like we do. We thank you for your work as always. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us for this wild ride. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails on Twitter at Not Detectives. Um, if you'd like some more bonus content, go over to Patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails to learn more about our subscription based service over there. And of course, the only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch 
merch is truecrewmerch.com. So check that out as well if you haven't already. Uh, Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Sister Wives. I know people are excited about this, and I am at the top of that list. Cannot wait for that episode. Buckling yeah. in as we speak. Christy, yeah. do you want to say goodnight to the people? Just so happened to be the next one on my list. The uh, number one man of tonight's game. Good night, Owen Tippett. Good night, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston? Hiddleston? Good night, Loki. 